Hello and welcome to JBL Radio. I am your co-host, Michael Miller, otherwise known as RKG, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers. And this is a special colluders episode, so I have one, only one other person with me tonight, and that is Andrew Taylor, otherwise known as Bedouin, otherwise known as General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets. Good afternoon, Andrew. Good afternoon, Mike. It's so rare that we're in the same place. <laughs> I know. Well, it's, 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 it's evening over here, so I was just uh, saying. Point. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, right. Your wife's out for dinner. Yeah, well, she was, but then she got a nice bout of pink eye, which is awesome. So she's at home, and I was like, well, you know, too bad. I'm still recording tonight. So I'm, I'm down here in the basement. I've got, a, I've got new 4K uh, TV boxes set up. The new TV comes in tomorrow. So it's exciting times in the life of RKG this weekend. Yeah, well, let's hope the weekend goes well as we have, as we hope. Otherwise, I'm I'm going to be very annoyed on very annoyed and very drunk by midday on Monday if it goes badly. Yes, but you know what? We do have the uh, Cincinnati Kings season review to start with tonight because their season might be over. <laughs> that seems a little bit harsh, but uh, obviously, I think it's fair to say the finals probably aren't going how they had planned. Um, well, you can't, you can't plan for shitty shooting and injuries. And I think that's basically not to take anything away from the fireballs who have been playing very well and they've actually been shooting the shots they've been making. But if you want to diagnose the King's problems, that's pretty much about it. Yeah. Look, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that team, you know, this is the, the ridiculous argument against jump shot shooting teams is that teams that live by the three die by the three. And as Andrew happily diagnoses for us, so we don't actually have to do any analysis. What was it? Three for 20? Three for 20 on unopened, unopened threes in game three? Yeah, well, and I do wonder if this is where the Kings kind of starting Eli Custer. And we've always talked about their point guard position and how that could be an Achilles heel. And we saw the Jailbirds push them to seven with assistance by the, the Trez Owens injury. Uh, and now we're seeing Chris LaCruz really push them. I mean, this series is at least going six now. So um, if not the full seven, I would think. So maybe that's that's what's going on a little bit. Uh, look, I think, I think you know, you, you have a team in the fireballs that is, is probably, at, at this point, I think it's fair to say, get hot better than any other team. Uh, what was it in, like, game two, they got, like, 16 assists, basically all on, like, open jumpers in the first quarter or something like that? Like, it was just insanely hot like they were shooting like 70 percent from the field it's you know they are a team that has that potential to get super hot they have a consistent matchup advantage at point guard uh with lacruz on custer or green um and and they're getting strong contributions you know from a number of players like harrison i mean yes Hawes has been stupid but harrison and fuller have been pretty good porter has easily proved himself to be worth four second round picks um and you know honestly griffin. I, I'd say, don't forget griffin uh, I, I think uh, griffin's been doing work on the perimeter griffin's been doing work on the perimeter but i'm not sure he's had a game yet where i've really been like oh wow you know how he occasionally has those offensive firepower games he hasn't had one of those yet so 
his contribution is 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 significant, but I'm not convinced it's as, it's not as dynamic or exciting as some of the other players. Yeah, but, um, but I think what it I was going to say is though that so obviously, like the the um, the Kangs are probably a ruining some missed shots and just some you know unfortunate bad shooting games, which have probably cost them, let's say, one of the two games they've lost. But I think the other story is that Owens. You know, if you looked at this, if you looked at this uh, matchup in the same way that LaCruz was a LaCruz was a significant matchup advantage for the Fireballs, I think you probably would have looked at it and says that and said that Owens was a was a significant position advantage at shooting guard. And I think the biggest thing in this series has been that hasn't been the case. Um, and honestly, if you and and I, I mean, I'm not sitting there in front of SimCast, watching it live obsessively like some people are, but I have seen the end of most of the games. And it feels like to me that it's always, it's always Craig. Yeah, well, and, and that's a comment basically, that I put in, yeah, in the general channel yesterday is that it was interesting that Craig has really been closing things out. And that's been a smart decision. I, I haven't really been questioning that as a bad decision. It's just been more a surprising thing in my mind. Yeah, no, as I said, I would have, I, you know, I, I kind of have viewed this team since they moved Thibault and Mason as, as more of a, a, a two-man construction with everyone else playing kind of roles and Owens and Hawes being those two men. And what we've seen down the stretch in most games is that it's been Hawes and, uh, Hawes and Craig just making a living at the line. Yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder if one of the issues with this team, with the, with the Kings, and we're talking about, you know, an issue with a team that has five all-stars, but do they have enough playmaking? I mean, with that, without a true point guard, um, you know, and Detrez Owens, I think, um, by my horrible scouting, uh, suggests that he is an okay playmaker, but not a great playmaker. I mean, poke is poke, and, and Haas is his own machine, but... Do they have enough, really, to, to kind of get those points when they need them? I mean, Craig, well, I think Craig's the, been the answer, but... Well, I think this is the distance... Uh, sorry, this, this kind of illustrates the difference between um, a kind of offense that is generated from a, from a playmaker versus generated by the system and the cohesion. You know, the, the Kings have a system that has been in place for, you know, the better part of five seasons if I'm doing the math, 22 was probably the first year it kind of implemented, was implemented uh, right. in full. So you've got basically, let's say 21 is a, a kind of wash year. <coughs> 23 is when they made their jump, I think. It was either 22 yeah, or 23. I think, I, think I, I think the system was definitely there in 22. But either way, you've had a system that's been in place for that many seasons now. You have a core of players who have been there for, a, for the majority of that time. And the playmaking is generated because everyone knows their role and everyone is comfortable with each other. The alternative is you have the fireballs where it is basically LaCruz is the engine. And LaCruz as an engine is, is working probably at this, it seems to be at this stage, working a little bit more consistently than uh, the, the King's system. Yeah. I mean, it's still so, two, it's still two two, and you know, maybe after tomorrow you wipe all of this away. I don't know if we're going the full seven tomorrow, but you know, very so plausible. Where, all this might be. So for where not. do you see? Okay, so obviously the biggest news story out of today is that Benson has gone down and will not be seen again for this season, uh, which obviously is a little bit more of a problem than it would have been a year ago when the team still had 
Thibault chilling out on the bench, uh, waiting for his opportunity. Um, but do you think? Where do you see the series going from here? I, still I mean, I, I, mean tip I, I, I tip I tip the Kings in five. Did you go five or six? I went five, I believe. So we both went five. I think it's fair to say that's uh, not mathematically possible anymore. Nope. But where do where do you if you had to if you had to make a prediction now based on what's happened to date and based on the injury to Benson, where would you be pitching it now? I'm going Kings in seven because this I'm I'm almost wondering if this is a little bit of a blessing in disguise in that it makes them play Craig more and maybe they feature Haas a little bit and get him more involved and make him like the feature player because just like I don't know if the Kings have anyone to match up with the Cruz. I don't as good as Harrison and uh, and Fuller have been playing. I don't think they can match up with Hawes when he's got the ball and just dominating. So I maybe a blessing in disguise there. So I'm gonna I'm still gonna go Kings in seven. Yeah, look, I'm I'm kind of inclined to agree. I, I still think the Kings could get away with it. I do wonder whether, given how strong that Craig, given how well Craig has been performing. I do wonder whether if the team decides to insert him as the nominal power forward, um, because they can cover they can cover the the minutes that Craig plays at small forward with Prince, so that's doable. Right. Uh, so they could give Craig a larger percentage of the time at power forward, um, which will keep Perkins in a, in the role that he's kind of more comfortable with, rather than scaling him up. And I think that offensively, that that does put an extra creator on the court, and perhaps makes him a little bit more dynamic. You know, if the team had a, and I think that both Fuller and uh, Harrison both tend to play away from the basket a little bit, um, so I'm not sure that either of them is going to be able to like punish Craig down low so much. And I think you know that will obviously Craig is obviously probably going to draw those guys out to the perimeter. So I think that could work if if Craig's got the stamina to play you know three big minute games, then that is something that could could actually be a, a blessing in disguise because as I said, I think the system has gummed up a little bit and maybe getting that extra creator on the court will help. And I, and I, and I actually could see that actually benefiting Owens because I think having Craig on the court more at power forward, you know, if you have around, if you have sitting on the perimeter, essentially Custer or Green, both of who can shoot Owens, then poke and Craig, you know that's that's only going to help the spacing and 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 possibly even prior Owens a little bit open open a little bit more than he has been because he just hasn't been having the impact that I think people would have expected going into this season. Yeah, Sorry, this series. And, and I don't think the fireballs are like the blizzards or even like the lumberjacks that could really punish the Kings for playing Craig at the four and going small like that. I, I think you're right about that. The fireballs, as good as Harrison and uh, and and Fuller have played. I just don't think they're those kind of players. So I think yeah, like they're, 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 their skills on offense aren't you know, putting their butt out and backing someone smaller into the post. That's just not the games they play. If they're up against one of those teams, then that would be a move that's fairly risky. But I, I'm not sure there's a huge downside risk uh, for the Kings doing that. So look, I think as long as the Kings could get... Uh, if, if the Kings can get to game seven, I think they win in seven. Still. So, so last last question: Is this still the Death Star? But it's the Death Star from Return of the Jedi that's only like partially completed, but still fully operational. I think. I think if the Kings win from here, I I think that we 
probably need to give them even more respect than we have. I know the Death Star is actually not really an insult per se. It's more a testament to the fact that they really are much better. We just say it in a very facetious, on-brand kind of way. Um, but if they're able to get this done without Benson on the, on the biggest stage, uh, that's a, a pretty phenomenal achievement. Because, um, you know, what I was, I was talking to um, Kamish briefly the other night, and it occurred to me that if you look at that some of the teams that are, you know, at the upper echelon of the league, right? Um, the Huskies aren't going to get any better. The Kings are probably going to get a little worse because they're going to have to sacrifice some of that depth. Because uh, I think Craig is going to do a Souter or retire the minute the season's over. Um, I think, you know, you have the Lightning, who I, I'm not sure where I see the upside, apart from some internal cohesion. And we'll talk a bit that, a bit about that a bit more when we do some of the team reviews. Um, and it occurs to me that if, 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 if the Kings and the Blizzards make the kind of downgrade moves they're going to have to because of the cap, I'm not convinced I wouldn't have the five balls as to favourite heading into next year because there's no reason why J-Ron can't keep this team exactly as it is assembled. Sure. I, I think the big question with the fireballs is, is LaCruz going to fall off or is it going to have some kind of injury? Or is there a team, are, if, by, if they're a jump shooting team themselves, are they going to run up against a team that they just have a poor shooting series or something like that? But, I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I, I mean, the team that may seriously challenge them without knowing anything that's going to happen in the offseason might be the Thunder at full strength, depending on the leaps uh, that Butler and Walcott may make. Um, yeah. But yeah, the I, I Blizzard. Think I think they're a home court team next year, but I'm not sure they're a, a full on contender quite yet. They'd be in that kind of second tier group for me. It it depends on if Walcott become develops on offense the way he developed on defense this year. I, like I'm not he, convinced. It, I, see, I don't think it comes down to Walcott at all. I think it's that the next step is on Butler. For me, yeah, but I think with Pfeiffer still in his prime, they could get away and still be very competitive. Maybe to hit their full ceiling, they have to have Butler kind of on the same cylinder. I don't know if that's real realistic. I just think Butler is still probably too. It's like the Bruno Kubalo, like two years away from being two years the away. Pro- <laughs> uh, the, the problem, the, the problem I have with that team is right. Their defense was championship level this year because Walcott took that big jump. But the, uh, the way I look at it is that Butler is the one with the ball in his hands. Butler is the one with the usage. I don't think that Walcott getting better on offense, because uh, as, as it has been pointed out, I believe he is only 138th in offense, in O-rating. Um, I think it's Butler. I think, Butler off, I think Butler's offense, imp- offensive improvement is what's going to drive that O-rating forward. Walcott's further development on offense is the cherry on top for me. Because right now, Butler is not a particularly efficient player offense. Walcott is not particularly efficient, but he doesn't have the same usage. Yeah. I, I'd care about the point guard getting their shit. I'd care about the, the heavily shot take, the heavily, the heavy shooting point guard getting their shit together first, because that's going to be an engine that drives the whole team. Whereas Walcott, it's a case of, he finishes a slightly better percentage of his of his closing opportunities. But I think I think your point is, and we're we're talking about the Thunder a little bit here. But I agree with your principal point is that right now, all things considered, you look at the landscape of the league, and it's hard right now to find a team that is more likely a favorite next year as currently constructed 
than the fireballs. Yeah, look, and I mean, obviously that assumes that J. Ron can hold his his uh, patience, uh, even if this series doesn't go the way he wants. Um, but I, when I look at the fireballs, I think the difference is that Fuller has not reached his ceiling. Harrison has not reached his ceiling. Cabin Gele has not reached his ceiling. Bloom has not reached his ceiling. Porter may not have even reached his ceiling. This is a young team. With the exception of Griffin and LaCruz, who at 30 each probably at least still have two peak seasons left, this team is, the average age is 23.6. Yeah, and, and you have Bloom, which you didn't even mention, who's right there. Oh, right I, I, did, I, did, I did kind of throw him in at the end there. Yeah. But yeah, so, it's, it's just, to me, this is a team that, you know, financially, the team, is able, the, the team will be able to keep this team together next year. I mean, they're going to have to pay $40 million probably for Fuller and Griffin, but that only takes them to 110 Like, they'll be able to keep this unit together and slide in 100, under 120 but it's it's a good lesson in team building too because all those players that you that, that they acquired with the exception of Bloom they all got basically under market value. You know the Tyrese Porter famous for four second round picks and 12 million was looked at like last se- just last season was looked at as like a dead money contract. You know um, and, and, and certainly Harrison uh GM wanted to get rid of Harrison because he refused to stop taking threes. Uh, and now they're dropping a bit better. It's it's he's a very different player on paper. Uh, Griffin was a yeah. contract that wanted to be that some people wanted to escape. Um, you know, it's yeah, you're right. Like that, he has acquired a lot of those players as as pseudo reclamation projects. Brooks, uh, Dijon Brooks would be the same. Um, Fuller would be too, because the big issue with him was he was a lottery prospect, but a head case. Yeah. See, I, I don't that... think I, I I don't quite call Fuller a a reclamation project. I think that was more just a a Calvin was cleaning house. Well, like I don't think, I don't think the the point is under market value. You know what I'm saying? Like he, I I agree that he was under, I think he was, I agree that he was under market value, but I don't think of him as this, as a reclamation project in the same way that Harrison and, and Porter had been probably reasonably heavily critiqued. Yeah. But it there, it's a team of all reclamation projects, but they all, fit the same they, they fit around la cruz right like that that's really the bottom line no absolutely they, they are they are they are, as a team it fits together really nicely unlike a lot of teams that i look at and we'll talk about this as we look at some of the teams that have been eliminated since we last spoke they they have the opportunity to keep this all together uh they obviously don't have a lot of draft picks, but then again, if you look at the good teams, nobody has any fucking draft picks. Um, and the best, the thing about this team compared to everyone else is this team has internal development upside. It's not like, oh, maybe this one guy might have a little bit more juice in the tank. It's like, no, most of the players on this team have more juice in the tank. Um, and this is, a, and people forget as well. This is a team that was only put together at the start of this year. So theoretically, they're probably not even that high up on the cohesion scale yet either. Yeah, no, I wouldn't think they are, especially because of their ages and everything. So uh, for for me, for my money, uh, I'd I'd be I'd be surprised if I don't head into next season thinking the fireballs are the favourites, regardless of what happens in this season this series. I do think the Kings may claw their way across the line. I do think they have an XP advantage, clearly. And I think that may help home court in game seven plus an XP advantage. I'd, 
I'm probably leaning that way because of it. But I think heading into next season, the fireballs are. I, I, I don't see. I, I would, it would take something amusing to happen in the off season, and we know amusing shit will obviously happen. Uh, but it would take something fairly significant for me to change my mind that the fireballs will head into next season as the favourites. But I think we have uh, overly uh, provided a sufficient level of analysis for the final. Shall we move on to continuing our team reviews of teams that have been punted? Yeah, and I, th- and I think that works too because we probably won't be reviewing the Kings and the Fireballs during our next installment. So we'll have covered all the teams. We basically covered their off-season plans by what we just talked about. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the other, I guess, six remaining teams that we still need to cover. Yep, there, are six, there are six teams that we are discussing today, which are the three teams that went down in the second round or after. Okay, so we're going to do this in, uh, as I've said before, we have been doing this in um, record order, so the lowest win totals have been first. That may not reflect where they were eliminated in the playoffs, but that is the model I have been using. So part three will commence with the Chicago Jailbirds. Who this year finished? Who last year had a record of fifty and thirty-two uh, for a six-ten win percentage. This season they went forty-nine and thirty-three for a five-ninety-eight, which was a change of one point two percent. It's actually really amusing, actually, if you look at the teams that we're going to talk about today, and you'll be able to see this, Mike. Is that with the exception of one team, the needle didn't move much on any of these teams? Nope. That very, you know, no, there's no, there's not really any big, big jumpers here, or or, or decli- guys who decline from the upper ceiling of the conference to slightly lower down. It's, it's all pretty stable stuff. So, what went right for the Jailbirds? So, by making the Eastern Conference Finals, I think it's fair to say that Austin kind of proved his theory correct, and his. His theory has kind of been his response to me yelling, blow it up whenever I discuss the jailbirds for like five seasons. And his theory has always been, if you, if you can make it into the playoffs and you have a strong team, even if you're not necessarily a contender, all it takes is a, a good break or two and you can be right there in it. And I, and I think that the, the run the jailbirds went on this, off, this uh, postseason Whilst it hasn't ended up with the championship, I think he has proven that theory correct. He came in as the seventh seed, but he had some. He benefited. They had some really good playoff matches, some series that got extended due to injuries, and and they were really right there. And they pushed the Kings a lot harder than I think the Kings probably expected to be pushed. So uh, this is uh, not a mea culpa, but it is an uh, a acknowledgement that uh, Austin's theory uh, has some significant merit. Uh, but other stuff that went right for the team, I think Clarkson was an excellent acquisition and, and that the defensive games of Granger and Howard uh, became really um, a really significant part of the season as the season went on. Um, Clark and Carter continued to be really productive in bench roles, um, but most notably, Ham, uh, Cheney went ham and basically proved uh, his uh, most public doubters to be a bunch of buffoons. Um, I wonder who that's referring to. Um, also, and, and what the other last thing is, um, by deploying Cheney almost exclusively as a point guard, um, they created themselves some really beneficial um, one-on-one matchups, particularly in the playoffs. Um, and that was probably um, one of the savviest kind of coaching GM moves of the season. Because um, I don't think the Jailbirds would have had the run they've had uh, if they didn't do that. Anything else you want to add to the what went right? 
No, I, I mean, to me, it's really two, two things that it comes down to. And one is that we were wrong in terms of writing off Cheney. And clearly the fact that he was 31 or 32, he's still at the peak of his powers. And that really was it. And the second was the aggressive move to get Clarkson, which um, I think made a lot more sense for the Jailbirds and the Barons just because the Jailbirds are basically lighting the future on fire, you know, and, and knowingly doing so um, while getting Cheney as many uh, chances as possible at getting back to the finals and getting a ring. The one positive about this style is that they do have a good amount of young players, and you mentioned Granger and Howard, and um, there's also some other players uh, like that they have, like uh, Trevon Cage, I believe is his name. Cage is the center. Um, yeah. They also have Antoine Willis, who's still in his 20s. They have um, – he didn't really get to play that much, but they have their first-round pick this year who was a wing. Uh, so they've gotten some of their younger players, some very valuable playoff XP that may help them reach their ceiling. I don't think any of them is a future superstar or even all-star, but they're all very solid, above-average players. So by doing this style, if somehow Chicago can luck itself when Cheney does die into a, another major superstar, it's almost set up if they keep this core around them to uh, still be a competitive team even after Cheney goes. Yeah, look, I, I think that uh, they are obviously mortgaging the future, but that is the path they've committed to. And at least, and, and for whatever else, their behaviour is consistent. They are going to ride the horse uh, as long as the horse is there. And when they have to then get off the horse and put it in the back paddock and, and put, it, uh, put a gun to its head, then they know they're going to be bad. But in the meanwhile, they, they're going to do everything possible to take advantage of the opportunity while they have it. And, and, and every move they make is consistent with that. And I think that's something that we tend to criticize a lot of other teams for. The, the jailbirds are, have a plan and they are sticking to it consistently. So what went wrong? Yeah, and I think when we hated on them, it was when they seemed to have one foot in and one foot out the door with playing these younger players and giving them valuable minutes. But then they went out and got Clarkson. So, and I, I think that all kind of worked out. But go ahead. What went wrong? Uh, they lost 3-4 in the Eastern Conference Finals, proving Bedouin and to a lesser extent his colluder buddy correct. They should have That's blown right. it up. We were right. <laughs> <laughs> so there, Austin. <laughs> Fuck Cheney. <laughs> um jesus christ so um i think it is fair to say that mike and i had more than one private conversation about how hard we were going to have to eat crow and just cop shit forever if uh if the jailbirds had ended up winning um it got to that point um but look aside from aside from that general uh disagreement on ideology the only thing that I really think that went badly for the Jailbirds this year is that I think that DJ Gordon finally proved once and for all that he isn't going to make it, um, and it's probably time to put a fork on. I put a fork in him. Uh, for, apart from that, I'd say the Jailbirds had pretty much everything else go their way. They acquired Clarkson, who fit in really nicely quickly. The the young wings in Granger and Howard both took really positive steps forward. Howard is a shortlist guy. It was a short is a shortlist defensive player of the year kind of guy now. Um, Clark and uh, Carter both continued to contribute well off the bench. You know, despite their age, they're both thirty five. 
you know, everything went their way. It really is just that DJ Gordon is, uh, has definitely, it can now be officially written down as hack. Yeah. And I mean, and Gordon was what, like the 22nd or 23rd overall pick in that draft class. So it's not oh, like, absolutely. like it, it's not like they yeah. burnt a, a valuable pick. lottery when pick when you get past, you know, 15, 16, 17, the reality is you're, you're not going to bat, you're not going to bat more than 500 on those picks. Certainly when you're talking about guys in starting roles rather than kind of um, limited rotation minutes. So uh, really not that much went wrong. Um, and now that brings us to what do they need to do? Well, assuming that Cheney is going nowhere and the team will stubbornly refuse to blow it up, uh, they just need to hope that Cheney once again doesn't lose a step, um, especially since he will officially be in diminishing returns territory for wings. Uh, which is that 32 kind of age line. Um, secondly, uh, they kind of probably want to hope that Carter and Clark decide to come around again uh, as the team doesn't have the tools financially or draft-wise to replace their contributions. Um, Carter has one year left, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything, as we saw with um, Souter last year. Uh, and Clark actually is an expiring contract. So... Um, what I think the team will definitely lose some ground, some fairly significant ground, if those guys uh, walk off into the sunset. Um, but yeah, really, apart from that, they just need to hope that uh, the young guys they have continue to develop and that Cheney holds up. Yeah, and as someone who got tortured by watching every Jailbirds Vipers game in Simcast, I mean, you really can't write off the contributions Carter and Clark di uh, did when they came off the bench in those like second and third quarters and, the, and those kind of ideas because they really were still strong contributors, even with their advanced age. Certainly Howard and Granger did really good things on defense uh, as wings in those games. But really, uh, I think that losing that veteran presence, may that, that may in of itself kind of set the jailbirds back a little bit more next year. Um, but I, if Cheney's still playing like this, it it's going to be hard to see them, um, you know, doing much worse than they did this year. So yep, no, I, I think that's fair. Okay, so that brings us to the second team we'll be discussing, which is the Pittsburgh Vipers, who finished last season with a record of forty-eight and thirty-four for a five-eighty-five win percentage. This year, they upped that slightly by 2.4% to get to 50 and 32 for a 610. What went right? Uh, they won more games than last year despite their GM's bullshit sandbagging on the season preview pod. Uh, they won a, a playoff series as the lowest seed, which is always a significant achievement, uh, regardless of the exact circumstances. Uh, Greeley and Lane both took positive steps forward, although it, it does seem like it'll be a while before we see any Messiah-style retractions from Andrew about Lane's offense. Uh, it ain't there yet. Um, Anderson improved a little bit, but not significantly, um, although uh, it is kind of hard to gauge his exact improvement because of his uh, comically low usage. Um, given the team didn't genuinely expect to do much more than make the playoffs this year, um, I think it's pretty much all good in the hood um, and uh, successfully managed to not give their GM a heart attack in a seven game series loss to the jailbirds. Although at times it seemed close. Uh, fuck Cheney. Fuck that guy. So, uh, but, uh, but no, I, I, 
I think one thing is if we're all going to go to Vegas, I think someone just needs to buy a shit ton of Warfarin or something just to like kind of, we can all chug Warfarin as we watch SimCast Live just to kind of reduce the heart attack risk. <laughs> might need to. Oh man, especially with that, the very first, at least they feel honored to be part of the history with the first, uh, first live SimCast uh, with the. Uh, I, 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 I love that when, when, when Phillips found, when Phillips sent um, someone to the line for three free throws at the, in, the, in the clutch minutes of the game. Oh, that was funny. That's one of my highlights for the season. Yeah, it was hilarious. Um, no, I, I think I pretty much agree with all of that. I mean, in short, uh, there's not that much of a change in the win total, but it's really significant this year because of how the Vipers won. When the Vipers won 48 games last year, it was on the strength of Fortier and Bowen as they led the team in win shares easily. This year it was Lane and Greeley and Haslam, and that's the way it's meant to be. So uh, that bodes really well for the future, getting that uh, playoff series win over a uh, a really good Warriors team was very important, especially with Lane going ham in that game seven. And I mean, look, even that Jailbirds loss, I mean, it's it's understandable that the Jailbirds were a bad matchup because of Cheney going up against Troy Phillips. And uh, they had more playoff experience with those big three that were still there. And it came down to Cheney, Cheney making shots and Lane missing them in the seventh game. So you really can't get any closer than that. So really good, uh, really good season by the Vipers. I, I have really not many complaints. Okay, so what went wrong? I think I already kind of covered this. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Bo improve a little bit more, but he may have actually improved and we just don't know because he doesn't fucking touch the ball. Yeah. Um, I would also say that the team acquired DeAndre Morgan to be their point starting point guard based on how he played alongside Souter as an off-ball ball handler. Um, but I don't think the effect worked quite as well here. Uh, maybe that's because Lane is still a wannabe uh, Souter forever. Um, Morgan wasn't bad, but he... I don't think he's fully locked down the last remaining open spot in your starting lineup. What? What was that? You said he wasn't good either. (laughs) I don't think he was terrible. If you actually look at his advanced stats, he he was fairly stable. Um, But I would have, I I was expecting more from him and I I suspect you were also. Um, And the last one is that many of the older vets, such as Fortier and and Sherman, are now out of contract. Um, So we'll see whether the team can retain them or be able to retain them in case of Fortier, who may well retire uh, moving forward. Yeah, I... So what do I think you need to do? Uh, Not that you'll listen to me, but uh, I think you'll be hoping... I think you'll be hoping that the team's... What? Hello? Go ahead. No, I'm still here. Go ahead. Yeah, no, but you're away from the microphone. I can barely hear you. Sorry. Um, assuming that... Uh, sorry. So I hope that the... Te- uh, I, I think that you'll be hoping that the team's big three, um, and that's including Haslam and top of Greeley and Lane, continue to develop or at least develop more and more cohesion as time goes on. Uh, you'll be hoping that Morgan can elevate his game further in the second in his second year with the team or that one of the other point guards, such as Phillips, or I think you Murray was the other one you acquired late in the season, can step up. Um, and the other one is that probably that you hope that Sherman is going to be able to be retained cheaply because despite all the war, uh, despite all the wheel in dealing you've done over the last couple of seasons, your war chest uh, pick-wise is now pretty much empty. 
Uh, and after reciting Greeley, the team's going to have less than $10 million to play with to add additional pieces. So you're, you're getting close to being stuck with what you have. Well, there's, there's a couple caveats to that. One is that that $10 million includes 40A's $12.5 million player option. So he picks that up, then great, we're set for this year. And if not, it's $22 million. Um, the other thing too is, is that I, I really, you know, with the point guard position, I'm not sure if Morgan's going to be back. I'm still kind of chewing on it. The issue is that I think with lane, I need kind of a more of a spot up shooter at the point guard position. So I'm kind of looking at that and I feel like that's why Phillips has looked better, played better, has had a higher offensive efficiency rating. Even when I've been playing with the lineups, I think that's the biggest question is the type of point where do i sit on point guard um i agree resigning sherman is probably a pretty high priority for this team i think from depth purposes and uh i do think we've we've kind of been stockpiling some assets some first round picks for 2030 and beyond and uh i don't think you'll see i don't think you'll see a lot of moves this year where the the vipers are i i a year, if not two years ahead of schedule, in my opinion, like we're not, we're really looking at like 2030 is that's when our window kind of is. So we're still a little bit in that play mode. Um, it'll be curious to see kind of what Haslam does when his contract is up next year and what that kind of looks like, but he's still even only at a $24 million max fine with Anderson. Um, I think like one of the big differences with Anderson versus a player like McDice is that, a player like McDice is going to have a lot more attention on the market than Anderson because of the athleticism. And I do think Anderson's more of a pure power forward, um, whereas McDice might not be. But um, nevertheless, all things considered, happy with the Vipers. I don't. I think it'll be a relatively quiet offseason, but you never know. RKG's crazy, and someone might shine some pretty little diamonds in front of my eyes, and I can't help myself and just trade everything for them. So... Darius Covington, come on down to the Vipers. To be fair, I see myself having a fairly quiet offseason as well, but I'm not sure that'll end up being how it plays out. It never does. Yeah. Um, I think to myself, I'm happy with how everything is, but then all I need is someone to put something on the trade block and then just talk myself into it. So. Yes, I, I'm aware based on many conversations that we've had. <laughs> Um, okay, let's move on to the Portland Lumberjacks uh, last year's uh, final, uh, last year's Western Conference finalists. They finished last year with a record of fifty-seven and twenty-five for a six ninety-five win percentage. This year, they finished with fifty-five and twenty-seven for a six seventy-one, uh, down two point four percent. Look, what went right for this team? Look, they started slowly, but they definitely clawed their way back into home court position by the end of the season. I think Dorian Sylvester certainly took his game to a new level um, and gained his first all-star spot. I think Sylvester may have already been there previously in terms of efficiency and performance. I think this was the first season where he really got to stretch his wings a little bit more than he had previously in the absence of um, as Martin's kind of drop down the radar a little bit further. Um, they still got a con- strong contribution from Martin, despite his uh, rapidly increasing age. Um, I like the acquisition of Stith from the Vultures. I don't think he played hugely well this season, but long-term, I do like him as a kind of rotation score a bit on a team that 
as we've said to death, does, li- does lack a little dynamism. Um, I thought Peeler did well in a, in a slightly lower usage role. I think if you look at Peeler's counting stats, you can go, oh, that's a bit of a down year for him. It really isn't. Um, he did use the ball less, and, and you can see that the, 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 the advanced side of it is all still there. Um, but most importantly, uh, they were gifted the number two pick in the draft uh, by their Georgia Bowl rival, the Jaguars. Anything I missed? No, I, I think that pretty much nails it. Um, I get the feeling, though, you're going to there's going to be a lot more detail in the what went wrong segment um, based on how this Lumberjacks team kind of had their trajectory this year. Um, so what went wrong? They went down to the fireballs in seven games in the Western Conference semifinals. They, they just didn't ever look quite as good this year as I think some of us expected or as Tim expected. I mean, it was pretty frequent down the, the stretch run of this season in the playoffs for Tim to come in and talk about how maybe we're just pretty mediocre. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't kind of panic, just kind of like, Depressed resignation, which is a nice change from the the freakout crew. Thanks, Carl. Um, no, look, I think that uh, I don't think I, I saw. I, I kind of thought McSwine would take a, another step forward this season, and he didn't. Um, he didn't have a bad year by any stretch. Um, you'd probably say this was this season was a bee's dick down on last season, but he was still an exceptionally strong player. Um, Gelano. Again, as one of the younger players on this team, I would have hoped to have seen a little bit more development from. He was pretty flat or, again, slightly down. Um, it may just be my deeply balked scouting, but my scouting keeps telling me that Christian is good. Deontay Christian is a good player with upside. But I don't see it on the court. Um, he's in this really super, super, super low usage role. Um and I, I, I think the team probably needs something more than what they get out of him. Um, and La, uh, and LaCruz uh, La certainly steamrolled him pretty aggressively in the playoffs. Um, yeah, look, it's not so with this team so much, it's not that anything went horribly wrong. It's just they were already a fairly undynamic kind of stagnant, solid team. And, and the few things that could have gone right for them to be more than that didn't quite happen. And a few of the other teams in the conference caught up to them rather than they got actively worse. The, the Jacks are kind of why I have a little bit of a theory about building a team that you need an alpha, you know, and, and that's... <laughs> kind of been one of my criticisms or my thoughts about the Kings team and maybe one of the reasons why they've kind of failed a little bit here or there. I have a question without the Jacks team. I think that to me, I think you need a guy who is dynamic two-way player that can get you points when you need them. And I don't think the Jacks have that. I mean, who is the alpha on this Jacks team? Oh, look, the alpha... My, my theory is not wildly dissimilar to yours. Um, look, it, to answer your question first, look, Peeler is the alpha. Peeler is the offensive closer on this team. Um, the issue with that is that I think you're... I think there's two parts. My theory is a, a slightly more nuanced, perhaps, for lack of a better term. Nuance? You need an we alpha. don't have nuance on these podcasts. What the fuck are you doing? 
I, I, you could clearly tell in my voice that I was hesitant to use the word nuance because it we does make penis like jokes on this podcast. Where's the nuance? Do we? Do we? Really? This, uh, this nuance is brought to you by Soft Clock Sweep. Oh, I'm sorry. It's brought to you by BigDickEnergy.com. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm trying to get us a Warfarin sponsorship now along with the Cialis one. So that's good. Um, SimCar sponsored by Warfarin. Those go, um, those go hard in hand. Uh, hard, hard cock, stiff hand. There you go. Okay. So look, no, I think that my theory would be that your alpha player, your absolute alpha player needs to be a player who can have an impact on both ends. And I don't think that Peeler is that. Uh, and the second part is I think your build needs to have two guys who can score the basketball, who can really score the basketball. And I, and I think my issue with the, the Jacks, and, 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 and I think it's manifested when we talk about how dynamic they are, Mick Swine is pretty close to his ceiling at this point. He's only ever going to be an 18 points per game kind of scorer. Yep. He'll have amazing games. Like in one of the playoff games, he had a triple-double midway through the third quarter. I think it was like 15 points, 11 rebounds, and 11 assists. That's a fantastic fucking game. But he's not the guy who's going to score you 30 when he needs to. And this team does not have that player. Um, and I think that kind of neatly brings us to what do they need to do in the offseason? Because I think there's some, I think there's probably a discussion we can have around this is that this team has basically quietly lined itself up to completely rebuild this offseason. Um, if you take out the options, uh, and they're all team options, the team basically only has $20 million committed to Bryant and Sylvester. They also have the number two pick in the draft. They, this team could easily go completely full rebuild, um, or alternatively, they could just bring it all back, and then they have a choice between one of three areas, in my mind, where they should address in this draft. And I'll be curious to see what your thoughts are on this. Uh, Obviously, me, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go first before I kind of give you the three options. If you've got something I'm, else to add, I mean, to me, uh, well, you know, it actually, I'm, I'm. Let me defer. It makes sense for you to go over the three options because I think I know what they are and I kind of have an opinion on it. But go ahead. Okay, so option one, assuming they bring everything back, this is all assuming they bring everything back. Okay, option one is that you go center, and the argument for going center would be that Martin is getting older. Um, and the, the team probably can't rely on him to produce like he did this year beyond maybe 2028. The argument against that, in my mind, is probably the fact that they already have Brian and Sylvester and Porky, who are all capable of playing either the four or the five or a combination of both. So it's it basically serves to build in a replacement for Martin in the existing structure of the team. The second one is you could get you could hire uh, you could go and get a shooting guard um, who could potentially learn behind an aging peeler or a wing player who could kind of learn behind peeler and become that kind of the next dynamic scorer once peeler ages out, which is probably two, three years away. Or the team could go point guard to replace that one kind of undynamic spot in their lineup with Christian and add someone who can play make, but also score the basketball. 
Um, and there's a couple of guys in this draft like Tyson Rucker and Sheldon Mack um, who are probably plausible in that kind of role. So what say you, Mike? It depends on how much faith you have that Gillenow is is going to be significantly better than what he showed this year. I think Swain is probably the least of those three options for the reason you said. Um, their three front court players are still relatively young. They're also importantly relatively cheap, and you have that continuity and uh, you have that continuity with them. And I'm not sure. Swain is such, if they're going to stick with the grit and grind, which I think they will. I don't know if Swain is such an upgrade over what they already have that would be a useful use of the second overall pick. So it really comes down to the faith in Gillenow. If you don't have faith in him, the pick is Haywood. If you have faith in him, then I agree you address the point guard situation, and that might be the most, that might be the correct decision, not just for how this team is built. But you look at Los Angeles, they have LaCruz and Bloom coming up behind him. Seattle has MBJ, which is going to be developing behind him. Um, and uh, even the, uh, the the Scorpions, I don't know what the Scorpions are going to do, but uh, I mean, the Scorpions, you're not worried about Michelle St. Joan, but you never know. They might go and get like a dynamic point guard. Point being, the, the two teams that are likely above you in the division at this point, or at least have a higher projected tra- trajectory than you, have dynamic point guards. And if you get someone to match up with those point guards and you kind of keep the rest of the continuity together, it's going to be a rough year next year, although you keep Christian and that kind of helps keep your core together. But you have a real shot, I think, to remain competitive without a complete overhaul rebuild and kind of catch up with the thunder and fireballs who may have eclipsed you this year. Yeah, no, I, I think I pretty much agree with all of that. I, 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 I think I think the other thing for me is long term, in terms of like getting more dynamic beyond point uh, beyond shooting guard. Sorry, beyond point guard for me, it's I want to see Porky at power forward more. I don't want him. I don't want Porky at at small forward. And that's not a I love Gallano comment or not Gallano independent of Gallano. I think that as an offensive player. Porky is limited somewhat as a small forward option compared to some of the more dynamic wing scorers in the league. But I think at power forward, he's actually a a far more dynamic power forward than a lot of teams have. He can shoot the ball from uh, the mid and the longer range better than a lot of those guys. He has a massive play, uh, playmaking advantage over a lot of those guys. I think McSwine, McSwine at power forward is actually quite dynamic. McSwine as small at small forward is kind of like hyper good utility guy. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I agree with you because I don't know if you could start him at small forward if he's going to shoot thirty four point one percent from beyond the arc. The last two seasons he shot thirty seven percent, thirty seven point eight percent, and thirty seven point one percent. Um, and that was when he was playing more at small forward, ironically. Played more at power forward this year. But, he, you know, I, which you know, he still played probably a little bit too much at small forward, the majority of the time at small forward. I agree with you that I'd probably commit to him more at the power forward position. I think that's where you're going to get more value for him for basically how he plays and really get to use his – and that's something else too, I think, why you go point guard. It seems like – 
McSwine is actually a pretty decent pick and roll player. And I don't think Deontay Christian is a great creator from the pick and roll game. And if you play him at power forward, maybe you can utilize that power, that, that roll man uh, game a little bit more. He only ran pick and roll 2 per, 2% this year. And he actually played a lot of pick and roll ball handler and he was pretty decent at it, but you could have some situations where he's on the ball off ball. You could really kind of mess around and play with him a little bit more. If you go point guard and put him and put Porky more at power forward. And I think make it a little bit more dynamic and get that edge. That's the issue that we've been talking about with them. Yep. Okay, well, I think we've, uh, no one can say that we haven't given the Jacks uh, sufficient airtime. So, shall we move on to the next team? Yes. Okay, the next team is the Minneapolis Blizzards. Uh, they finished last season with a record of 56 and 26 for a 683 win percentage. This season, in which they were uh, nominated and tipped to be the top team in the West, they finished with a 55 and 27 record for 671, which was a drop of 1.2%. Uh, so what went right? Um, they overcame um, some fairly significant early season panic. What changed uh, to finish them? <laughs> early season panic to finish with the third best record in the Western Conference um, after a fairly extensive end of season hot streak. Um, Mobley elevated his game to a new level, um, although you might just need to hold your nose a little bit when you look at the turnovers. Um, and Galloway lit it up down the stretch after a slow start. Uh, by the metrics, Slay had his best season, um, although it comes to, it comes with somewhat of an asterisk that we're obviously going to discuss as we get further into this team. I thought Spencer was really stable and solid after coming in to replace Webster. Uh, I'm not sure I loved the acquisition of another big uh, rather uh, at the expense of getting rid of some wing depth in terms of rush, like conceptually, but I, I will acknowledge that Spencer played very well. Um, Ash was really strong in the backup point guard role, and I think Shipley showed some signs that uh, with a little bit better shooting, he could convert, he could fight, he could develop into a really valuable swing forward in the in the utility kind of Carol style mold. So that's what I've got that's positive. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't have much more to add than that. I mean, I, I think Galloway still looks pretty good. Grant kind of woke up at midpoint in the season. But um, I think that, again, kind of like the Lumberjacks, I feel like the uh, what went bad segment might be a little bit more interesting on this team. Yeah, and I think there's probably things you're going to want to add to what I've already got down. So, look, uh, what went wrong? Uh, they got taken out by the Lightning. Um, imagine losing to Kyle. That would be somewhat upsetting. Is the embargo um, so over? Is, is the embargo over? You, are you going to talk negatively about Kyle again on the pod? Uh, it is over, yes. Uh, <laughs> losing to Kyle would be pretty fucking annoying, especially given their special their special relationship. Um, that aside, Enriquez had a down year, and the team's early season form... Uh, precipitated some perhaps slightly impertinent, impatient trades. Um, and I think that cost the team enough wins to that they lost that home court spot because I think if they, if they had not made some of those trades and allowed things to stabilize naturally, I wonder whether they wouldn't have been able to get the home court over the lightning. 
Um, and I think that probably would have made the difference in that particular se series, particularly given that the Lightning are, are a team with certainly notable flaws of their own. Um, also, I think I'm ready to call... I don't think Slave's the best long-term fit for this team. I mean, Slay and Mobley may not fit together because neither of them can shoot or want to shoot. Well, in Slay's case, he doesn't want to shoot. Well, no, Mobley, Mobley was highly efficient from the field, but he's not, a, he's not necessarily a three-point shooter. Right. Right, that's what I meant. So he's, but he, he, you need to have someone who will actually stretch the floor and take some three-pointers. So Mobley only averaged 5.13 pointers a game, which was a career high, and he did hit 35.9%. But I think even that's not enough. You need no. more. But you need, I think have... you, need a, you need a point guard that's probably sending up 40% of their shots from, the, from behind the arc, just for spacing. Yeah, I'm, and I mean, Slay had a, a solid year. You know, 18.7 PER, 9.2 win shares, which was the highest of his career. So he's extremely yep. efficient and extremely good on offense. But if you're going to have a player who takes – half a three-pointer a game, you know, so he, he literally takes one, a, a three-pointer every other game is what Dale yep. Slade does, which is better than Ben Simmons, but it's still pretty low in the JBL. Um, you're going to need to surround a player like that with shooters. And while Mobley is to spread it out a little bit more, he's not a shooter. You wouldn't qualify him as a shooter. No, look, Mobley, Mobley hit 506 from the field this year and 359 from three. 359 is for a shooting guard on that kind of volume at 5.1 a game. It's acceptable, but it's not going to generate the spacing that you want when he's next to a guy that doesn't ever shoot them. You know, you add another guy who can shoot the ball a little bit better next to him, I think you're going to see a much better result. And uh, I, I think that it's, if we're willing to move on from the what went wrong to the what the team should do next, uh, there is certainly something I think the team needs to look at already on the roster go ahead let's get to it. this is, this so, is a fun team because they're going they're, they're going to be completely different probably more than any other team because even the kings they can keep it together somewhat with the cap stuff but oh, the, the, the kings blizzards are, are going kings to be are, different the kings are just going to lose two pieces but right. neither of them are starters right the blizzards oh, could be completely blown up Yes, Almost. so the Blizzards entered this season with an almighty cap number and they're going to forfeit a first-round pick as a result, but that's the price of going in all, all in. This season is going to be about pairing back the existing team into a more sustainable version going forward. Um, I think everyone assumes that Grant's probably going to take his extremely lucrative player option at his age, um, and if that happens, the team probably can't afford to retain Spencer. Um Furthermore, the team, if they're going to look at, if they're going to have want to have any depth going forward, I think they really need to consider whether trading Slay would be the best option. Um, I think he's, as we've talked about, his his shooting is not a great fit next to the two Donovans, and I think I think Ash is ready to start. Um, Ash this year had uh, who is their backup point guard for those who are not across that. Um, Ash played 18 minutes a game this year. I think he had a PER up at about 18. He he shoots 4.49 from the um, from the three point line. Didn't turn the ball over very much. Six six point uh, six of a turnover against 3.8 assists. Um, I think 
he might be a better option for this team moving forward. And he's he's still on his rookie contract. So he's got another, or not, maybe not his rookie contract, but he's got another two years left at $4 million a season, which is a really nice... Which is a really nice number to be paying a, uh, a you know a second uh, a, a a starting player if you're looking to have some kind of financial stability moving forward. Yeah, um, I, I think I have some comments on this, but first, someone wanted to uh, come by and say hi. Hold on a second. Hello, everyone. Guess who it is? It's Stephen R. King, bitches. And let me tell you something. I got this this hot news, hot, hot off the press. You know that James Spencer guy? He better get stock up on some clam chowder because I hear that he's on the move. And he's going to go to Boston for not one, not two, not eight, but ten second-round picks. How's Boston going to get ten second-round picks? I don't know, but I got to tell you something right now. James Spencer got to book his ticket out of Minneapolis. No more snow for him. It's going to be all about rivers and riverboats out in Boston. Out. Um, I'm assuming that if they're going to give up, if Boston's going to give up 10 second round picks, they have a surplus of two and a half uh, porters somewhere. I, I, I don't know. They just have so many second round picks from that porter trade. They must have a lot to give around. So that, I guess that's your first hot off the press rumor. I don't know if Boston's going to be the team, but I think Spencer is definitely on his way out. I think that's the one vibe I get out of Minneapolis. Well, well, I think the difference is that we we will know shortly whether Grant takes that player option. We will know that heading into the offseason. And I think the team doesn't need to make a, a final decision about that until they know that answer for sure. The minute Grant the minute Grant signs that player option and says he's coming back, Spencer is gone. It's just a matter of where. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, I mean I, I think Slay, there was some suggestion about him on the trade block. Does Slay fit anywhere? Like, what? what I, the only thing I could think of is if there's a team that, again, really wants to blow it up because he's a really unique player to build around. He's like a Kelly at the point guard position. How do you build around a player like that? Like, what kind of teams could even entertain that? Um, I think it needs to be a team that has really... Look, so where, what is Slay good at, right? He is a good distributor of the ball. Uh, at a reasonable, at a, at a good turnover rate, he is a strong defender and an above-average rebounder at the position because of his height. The one thing he he hurts you on is, is spacing. So if I was willing to take a, if I was going to consider taking a, a stab at Slay, what I would be looking for personally is a lot of three-point firepower at the two and the three. I'd want a I'd want a clearly above average three point shooter at the two and the three, and probably a guy with uh, at least a degree of floor spacing at the four to offset it. Yeah, and I'm not sure if there is a team that necessarily. I'm not sure there's a team that necessarily has that right now. But having said that, that doesn't mean there isn't a team that couldn't obtain Slay uh, at, a, at an earlier point in their personal build and then add those pieces around Slay as they, as they build up. Because, you know, when the, when the Blizzards took Slay, it wasn't an issue that he couldn't shoot at that point because, A, he might learn to shoot and we didn't know where how Mobley was going to develop and we didn't know how Galloway was going to develop either. So as a result, it wasn't a really a big deal per se. 
now that we know how the development pathway all three of those players has, it, it's an issue now. Um, I think if you took Slay on now and you know what he is and what he will be going forward, then you just need to be, basically, if you're looking at shooting guards and, and, and small forwards in like a draft class, you'd basically just say, I don't want to care about anyone who isn't an A in outside shooting. It'd be the first thing you do, just slash him off the board straight away. Would the smarter move be to keep Slay and Galloway and look to move Mobley? I, I, I still think Mobley has more upside. I think I agree with you. I'm, I'm just wondering. I'd, I'd, look, I'd, I'd rather I would rather play. I would rather pay Mobley twenty than I'd rather than pay Slay twenty. Yeah. Well, we will see. I mean, that the Blizzard's team is going to have a very interesting off season. I think they're going to be Absol- fun, interesting team to watch. Absolutely. Okay. And now we are moving on to the Houston Lightning. And Mike, you're going to have to generate some fire because I wrote this in a rush before the pod this morning so i'm not sure i've brought my a game sufficiently after myself in uh after my self-declared ban on trolling kyle but we are now up to the houston lightning who finished last season with the record of 46 and 36 for a 561 win percentage which uh and of the teams we're discussing today had the biggest jump of 14.6 percent to 58 and 24 this off this season with a 707 win percentage obviously on the back of acquiring uh, Weaver. So, what went right? Uh, Houston made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals uh, and going down in seven, uh, which certainly surpassed my own personal expectations for them. Um, and I think probably most people wouldn't have expected them to get quite so far. I think Kyle panicked a little bit early on uh, just about the general nature of his build. I think he was far too worried about Bradley and stuff, which I didn't think was a problem for today. And by today, I mean this season. Um, and certainly, you know, just wasn't overall pleased with the nature of his build and a lot of those, and a lot of trades followed. I didn't like a lot of those trades because I don't think he got a, a second alpha back in exchange for Bradley. And I think those trades took care of a lot of his really quality young depth that still had upside potential to grow. Um, but, You've got to say that most of those trades worked fairly well. I think that Bracey... All praise to Weaver. Uh, I think that, yeah, well, look, the Necromancer effect is, is definitely in play, but, like, I think Bracey... I don't think Bracey's ever played as well as he did in some of those playoff games. I mean, he was he was sensational in some of those playoff games. And I think some GMs have probably been won over. And I definitely say he'll be back on the fucking JBL rank again next year. Um, Bundu, that, that, Bundu can, the, that cannot happen. That cannot happen. It, it's going to happen. It's going to no. Happen. It cannot happen. It's it not allowed. Happen. And Bundu, who has been shattered, too many actually good players now for that to happen. <laughs> and Bundu, Bundu, who has been shat on and passed around like a party favor. Uh, over the last couple of seasons, looked pretty good in his in his role as a back, you know as a backup power forward. Um, and Allen, although his counting stats were down, actually had a pretty strong efficiency kind of year as a kind of third option on the team. That's what I have that went well. Did I miss anything? No, I, well, I, I mean, they got they played really well down the stretch and got a higher seed than I thought we expected them to get because they finished with 
what the second overall seed, I believe. And, in the and, and to be honest, it may well have been first, if not for that short waiver injury. And and I think taking the fireballs all the way to seven in the Western Conference was pretty damn good for a team that had literally zero chemistry. Like none of except for what Spencer Allen and Quan Sangalia, none of those guys were on the same team last year. So you know, I mean to have no chemistry to make midseason trades and we could talk we could go over all of the midseason trades that teams have made that have basically flopped or not really done anything. And they made midseason trades, and they at least treaded water, if not played better after those trades. And they made it to within a couple, like a quarter of the, well, not, maybe not a quarter, but at least within a game of the JBL finals. Yep. So, good season. Yep. Uh, so, what went wrong? My, my personal view is that the trades the team made this season uh, hurt the team's ceiling this year. Um, I think that uh, having Bradley as a secondary uh, high-end scorer with a bit more consistency would have really helped this team down down the stretch uh, in the playoffs. And I think we saw that last year when the Lightning uh, won a season a series as the underdog versus the Predators. Um, I feel like... Weaver and Bradley deserved a little bit more time to get their their games gelling together because I think that had quite a lot of upside. I think they, you know, after the the nervous Nelly start by the Blizzards, um, if the Lightning had kept it together as they were, I think I probably would have tipped them to win the conference if you'd asked me at mid-season. Um, but having said that, you know, mid-season trades do have that negative effect on the cohesion. So I think it's, it's probably not 100% fair to judge some of those moves until we see where this team is next year. Um, as an example, not to talk about my own team, but like the Ivory acquisition, you know, it didn't pay off the year I acquired Ivory, it paid off the year afterwards. Um, and I think that quite often happens as the team does need that little bit of extra time to build the cohesion back up to where it was. Um, I think in terms of the players they acquired, you know, we talked about Bracey and Bundu doing better than expected. I think the one player that I... I'm not just sure if he, this player cannot actually make me pleased with him or if it's just this player just underwhelms me for some particular reason. But I, I was hoping to get... I was hoping the team would get more out of Ellison. Um, who's that fucking... Um, <clears throat> who's that shooting guard that Weaver reincarnated? But I, I've completely blanked on his name. Um... Shit, I blinked on his name too. This is is anyone listening to this live? Can someone answer this question in the channel? <laughs> Jaron is. Jaron is. Jaron's there. Come on, Jaron. Help us out. Someone. Uh, like, yeah, no, I can't think of his name, but you know who I'm talking about. He's that guy who was on the Kings a long, long, long time ago and was like a, bounced around the league. He's like an expand, got overpaid and uh, got overpaid. One way player. Didn't do anything. Wasn't particularly efficient. And then suddenly. He's on. Uh, suddenly, he's on the um, on the Warriors oh. with Weaver and scoring. Oh, this is gonna oh man! It's not. It's not Wingate. This no. is this is killing it. This is killing me now. Because we, yeah. we joked about him all the time. Yeah, I don't. You just need to look. All we need to do is open up the Warriors from like two thousand twenty-three. I'm, I'm, right? I'm going to go. You keep filibustering. I'm going to find it. Okay, so I'm going to keep filibustering anyway. 
my point is that I, I kind of had hoped uh, in terms of upside for the Lightning that that Weaver would have the same effect on Ellison and that Ellison would be a, a much better player than he was. He wasn't bad. It would be unfair to say he was bad. But I, I thought that he might elevate his game to a, a new level with the kind of cover that Weaver can provide. Um, and that didn't happen. Uh, and apparently I'm still filibustering because Mike's you internet still, is slow. I'm still looking. It was what, 2025? 2020, just go to 2024 or 25, I would imagine we'll get you there. I think it's, I think it's 25. I think he was there for more than one year. Oh, uh, here it is. Lamar Claxton. Thank you. That's the guy. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Lamar, I, I, thought, I thought that Ellison had potential to be like Lamar Claxton 2.0. Uh, and I don't think that really happened. Um, so, look, and I think the, and the biggest issue I have with some of those trades is, you know, they're a team that doesn't have a lot of depth anymore. So I, I for, the, for me, for, so that's one of the reasons why I fixate on Ellison, because Ellison is now that bench weapon, and I, I think the team needs more out of him. We, um, I think it could come down as maybe one of the bigger what ifs of this season is that what if Kyle had just kept Weaver and Bradley together, and just let the season play out. Yeah, I think he should have waited. I think he should have left it as it is. I mean, I, I think that team that team very well could have beaten the Fireballs because Bradley that, that with that secondary scorer, Bradley, you know, could have come in and really provided that firepower to match up with the Fireballs. Yep, I said like you know, I just think long term, you know, the team if they had to, they could have literally lined up uh, on the court. Weaver at point guard, Allen at shooting guard, and Bradley at small forward. And I just think that level of firepower, if it was, if it all gelled, is is hard to match. Yep. Yep, yep. So what's next for this team? Um, look, they don't really have any... <coughs> big pun. They don't really have any picks uh, for a while. I think like 2030 is the first time they have a first. Um they don't really have any picks, but they do have the money required to probably re-sign all their key free agent pieces moving forward um, and still stay comfortably under the hard cap. The issue is that this is another one of those teams that from here looks like they're probably going to have to look to internal development and some savvy min-sales more than big-name additions, unless they trade, and I think you'll expect Carl to do something crazy and trade. Um but what concerns me there is, if I look at the age profile of this roster, the only player I'd 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 say probably has some more development left in him is is Allen. Like I'm not, you know, I think Ellison's past that point where he's probably got a lot extra to give. Bracey is too. Bracey, it's just about consistency. Um, you know, there there isn't really a lot of guys on this team that have upside. Um, and my concern as well is that. As this team is constructed, it's not good enough defensively. Um, and I'm not sure how it gets better defensively given its, its pick situation and its, its salary, um, salary situation because I think that as time goes on, people are getting savvier 
particularly with the new scouting, which is excellent, Mish, um, are going to get savvier and savvier about recognizing the value of defense. And I don't think you're going to be able to easily find competent perimeter defenders who can play genuine minutes for incels. I just don't think you're going to be able to do it. The, the, the level of GM quality or GM savvy across the league is, is moving upwards quite quickly. And I don't think you'll ever, I don't think you'll ever see a situation again where the dragons were able to uh, construct an entire bench of incels, all of who were competent players. Yeah, and I think there's a special set of circumstances too, um, just in terms of where other teams were in their development in that year. Like you had the Thunder blowing it up. You had teams that were basically somewhat savvy in their blow-up mode who weren't interested in those players, and you had a little yeah. bit of a gap. That, but I see. I, I think. I think. I think people would snipe those contracts now. Yeah, I think so too. I. I, I, I don't. I think even if they were in, I think if people, even if people were in rebuild mode. I think these days, and they had money, they'd just snipe them for two million just to keep them off the off those teams. Well, and, and this is where I think having a hard cap is going to have a lot of value too. It it, it really is going to be interesting to see because I just get the sense. My general sense is, and I know it's going to be wrong, and there's going to be once the the trade doors open, the, once the clock hits, there's going to be like eight to ten trades. I imagine like immediately, but I just feel like we've had so much activity over the last few seasons, like everyone who I, I, I just don't get the sense there's like that level of trade movement this year than in, in years past. And maybe it's because I know, I think you've been sitting on the sideline a bit. I'm sitting on the sideline a bit. So maybe I'm just not as involved in it. And I usually have my hands in it that, that it seems like it's slower to me and maybe there's more going on behind the background. I just don't know of, but it just seems to me it's going to be a little bit quiet. I think. Yeah, look, I think there's a few people sniffing around kicking tires, but I only know of one deal um, that's likely to proceed. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like for me, I'm I'm out of the market a little bit because I think I have most of the pieces, and I think I probably just need to learn how to fit them together uh, together better, and I'll have a better idea as to how to do that with another training camp under those players' belts and a bit more cohesion. Um. I think that teams are going to be a little bit warier about taking bad money on uh, now that we've got that hard cap line um, because I think it's, I think, not because I think they're going to risk, like, you know, I don't think the Knights are going to say no to Trendon Knox because, you know, they get a first round pick for taking Trendon Knox and, and they're not going to use that money. But I think that teams are going to be warier about taking that kind of dead money on the books because, they will be missing an opportunity in free agency, not to get a max player, but to get that, to get a good deal on that guy who they can pay four million to be a significant rotation piece. Those, the middle class of the league is going to grow, and I think there's going to be a lot of importance, not only about getting, you know, the right two or three guys on max salaries, but also those those complementary pieces that you're paying in that four to ten range, that allows you to have some depth as well. And I think that if you had that dead money on your cap, what you're doing is missing opportunities to get those kind of players. Yeah. No, but I agree. So we got, what, one more team to talk about? One more team. 
Um, and we did have, we obviously had done a little bit of prep on the Kings in case it went to 3 1 so we could troll Andrew, but uh, Andrew survived and we won't be doing that. So um, we will talk about the Toronto Huskies, which are the last team to discuss this on this part of the podcast. Last season, they finished with 53 and 29 for a 646 win percentage. This season, they went up to 58 and 24 for a 707, which was a gain of six, uh, 6.1. Um, what went right? Uh, when Q is on the court, this might well be the best team in the league. Uh, Q and Houston had really great years, um, and Tava was better than I expected. Um, I think he had he had some he had a, a much a crazy good efficient, um, effective field goal percentage. Um, Vega started pretty slowly um, on his new team, um, but ultimately rebounded to have one of his better seasons, um, and. It was probably his best if you take out a few of the Jags years where the, the, the quality of the Jags overall record probably bumps up some, some of those metrics. Um, it also included a game that I thought might drive Andrew completely fucking bonkers during the playoffs. Um, Teague was a nice pickup from the Knights. It wasn't cheap, but it was a, it was a good kind of pickup for them. Um, and, and this team ultimately was a lot better than its second round exit suggests. Um, that's probably what I had that went right. Yeah, I I think uh, I think look the the Huskies finished fourth overall in the conference and they won the opening round matchup against the Miami Cyclones, which um, was I don't want to say expected. I mean I, we considered to be a very evenly a very even matchup, and the Huskies were just simply better. I do think that Travis Owens has looked decent. Um, his counting stats aren't a lot, and not really shooting from three point that well, but he's playing some lineups that were pretty positive um and i think the big issue with him is his defense but at least as a player who could come in and put some points up on offense and you got him with the 25th overall pick so he's not going to eat up a lot of cap room and getting a player like that who can come in and put up some points could have a significant amount of value um i think the other thing that probably went pretty well for them is d'angelo tarver who um Again, kind of looked a little bit lost last year in 49 games with the Huskies. He had a 12 PER, negative 2.4 EWA. Looked like a pretty big mistake. Well, he bounced back significantly this year. PER improved to 15.3. His win shares per 48 went from 0.055 to 0.116. And uh, offensive efficiency climbed by over 10 points. So you saw Tarver really make some strides, which – is very important, I think, for the makeup of this team, especially with Q ideally set as the primary playmaker. So I think that really the, this Huskies have kind of maxed out with where you'd expect them to be this year. Yeah, look, I, I think there wasn't a huge amount really negative for this team. Um, I do have a different opinion on Owens. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Owens played much better at the front end of the season with a much bigger role, and his role just kind of faded away as the season went on because his defense was too costly. Um, yes, he does feature in some lineups, but his overall minutes uh, definitely dropped as the season went on, and that was largely because of his inability to play defense, which is why he dropped as far as he did. Everyone knew he was competent on offense. Um, I think I had hoped to see a little bit more from a Conquo um, after he signed his new deal, which was a little bit more generous than uh, than Matt would have liked it to be. Sorry, buddy. Um, and I, I think what ultimately happened did you, here did is... Did you do that, that to him? 
Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> yeah. And you can, and I, I expect public thanks when Prince is traded from the uh, from the Kangs as well. Um, but no, look, a few, I think a few little injuries and some, you know, off the wall results like losing a couple of games they shouldn't have ultimately pushed the Huskies to fourth in a really competitive Eastern Conference final and, and unfortunately just put them in the same half of the bracket as the Kings. I think I think it's pretty clear that particularly when Q is on court, this is the second best team in the league. Uh, and I don't think the final, you know, looking at the seasons, looking at the playoff brackets three seasons from now won't really capture uh, fairly how good they were at times this year. But in terms of what the team needs to do, they just need to hold the line. Um, they're able to afford to retain Vega um, because I don't think anyone's going to try and more, to pay him more than $20 million uh, a season. Um, and they should be able to dodge the hard cap fairly comfortably, even with that. Um, <clears throat> the, I think the most important thing about that is that I think we all have accepted the fact that the Kings are going to drop back to the pack a little bit if they lose that kind of bench depth they have. And I think we're seeing today particularly how just how valuable Craig can be at times. Um, if the Kings drop back to the pack, uh, and I don't think there's any other team that's going to make a massive leap, I think next season, instead of having this tier, you know, this tier one and tier two above everybody else, like, you know, in 2026, I think it was, what was it, Coney who had the Kings all by themselves and then me and then other people? And some people yep. had me, Kings, and then everybody else. I think this year, next year, it's just going to be everybody else. Yeah, uh, I I think the distance, I and mean, if the Kings lose a little bit of depth, and they're still going to be up there, but they're a little bit more susceptible to an injury, I would think. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty, you're going to see the, the eight teams that made the Eastern Conference, I don't even know if there's anyone who's going to be a party crasher. Like maybe Louisville um, could come in, but I, I would expect that all those eight teams that made it this year will have a legitimate claim to make it next year and basically win around the same games with a few changes here or there, I would think. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm, I, I, in particular, am not in a rush. Like, I don't see the point of trying to get me in a rush right now up at the top of the East. Um, because I think there's probably, you know, I think that the Stangs and the Cyclones are probably ascendant. The Huskies are flat. Uh, and the Kings drop down slightly. So that you've got four teams, not even mentioning the Warriors, who are all going to be in incredibly good shape. Uh, and that's just in the East. So, yeah, it's going to be a really flat kind of season next year. But Because um, I don't think any of the younger teams are, are quite ready to take that step yet. But yeah. that actually might serve a reasonable transition to our next topic. Would you like to introduce it or shall I? Sure, let me introduce it. So um, one of the things I had thought about was looking at who who are the teams that basically have the best young core moving forward. And these are teams that you'd look to not be competitive next year or the year after that, or maybe even the year after that. You're really looking for like four years down the road and trying to pick out the teams that like let's say in 2030, 2031, 2032, they're making the playoffs and kind of ascending for a run at that period of time. So um, the cutoff really is the 2025 draft. Anyone who is over, anyone who's players over the 2025 draft, like from the 2024 draft, we didn't consider those prospects. 
and we kind of look to see which teams basically have the most young talent um, out of those, out of anyone from 2025 to the present date, most young talent, uh, and try to figure out who has the best foundation, I guess. And we, and both Andrew and I picked our top five, and um, we didn't really confer, uh, we didn't share notes, so we're going to basically reveal our top five teams to each other um, and have a discussion about them. Um, are we going... Um from you want to go have you ranked them one to five i yes i ranked mine one to five okay so would you want to lead off with your number five and then we'll go from there and i'll talk about my if i have your number five on the list i'll say where i have them and then just talk about them at the same time so we don't double up sure so number five i have the kansas city knights with their key players being jackson dillinger and weathers Okay, Jackson, Dillinger, and Weathers. Okay, um, I had the Kansas City Knights a little bit higher uh, than that um, because I had I had them at number three, uh, and the reason for that was that I think that I also factored in Ford. Um, Ford hasn't been amazing so far, but I think that he is a player who can probably provide long-term value as his shot settles as a kind of at worst, microwave scorer type. Um, the other three I'm in agreement with, there are very few players in the league that I would have a higher value on than uh, Ricky Jackson Jr. Um, Jet had some really impressive games at points this season. His overall numbers don't look particularly good, but he is a rookie point guard. It is not shocking. I think people think of Gamble and Harrell having really good first years. Uh, and they forget that, by and large, point guards are usually pretty shit in year one, um, and that's not necessarily an indictment on where they're going to be in the future. And and I and I like Dillinger as a as a as a defensive center. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's also a few other players like Ramon Jordan and stuff like that who are also on that first contract who I think probably could end up being you know valuable rotation pieces. I I think the big question for me and why I don't have the Knights higher is the question of Weathers' fit on this team based on how it's being currently constructed. So I almost I, – I don't know if he's going to be long for the team, so that's why I dock them a little bit. But everything else with you, I, I basically agree with. I, Jackson's probably one of I, – I, I didn't do my, um, my, trade, um, my trade rankings this year, but Jackson would likely be up in top five – uh, top five, top ten, I would think, in terms of assets that are the most valuable among the league. I think Dillinger has shown a pretty good amount. The night we've talked about the Knights before, how it was really been impressive, and how solid they've been on defense for being such a young team already. So I think the Knights have a lot of potential, and that's why I put them on this list. I'll bite at the fifth position. Fair enough. Uh, okay, well I'll lead off with my uh, number five position then. Uh, and that is the New Orleans Hurricanes. Um, and it's for me, it's just Lawson and Woodson. And look, you could argue that Alvin Kennedy looked pretty good as a rookie as well uh, in a kind of low usage, stable kind of point guard kind of way. But it, for me, it's the, it's the upside of Lawson and Woodson. Um, I think Lawson wasn't quite the same after his injury this year, but early on in this season, he was looking fantastic. Um, and I think... 
losing Ivory off that team probably hurt Lawson's game a little bit in the short term, just because he was an other would have helped the spacing a lot more than Asprey would have, for instance. Um, and Woodson, I think it's easy to look at Woodson a little bit weirdly and say, look, you know, he's still a negative player. But if you look at the uh, the estimated wins added and stuff like that, he's still a negative player, but there are very few players that would have improved their number in the EWA column as much as he did this year. It just happened to be instead of moving from one EWA to like six, it moved from negative seven to negative one. Um, I'm, st- I'm still quite bullish in long term as long as the team gives him the opportunity. Um, and I think that's a, that's a powerful combination moving forward because I'm, I'm quite partial to that strong center and a strong wing scorer kind of combo as a base to build around. Yeah, I mean, with the Hurricanes, I did not have them in my top five. When I did this list together, I had nine teams that I felt pretty confident talking about, and they were one of the, I guess, honorable mentions. I didn't include in the top five, basically because um, compared to the other teams on my list, it's it's Lawson and Woodson, and I still do have some questions about Lawson's uh, ceiling in terms of where he's going to end up if he's going to get any better than here he came into the league i believe as a college senior and maybe part of the reason why he started off so well because he's basically got several years of development than other players that came in the same draft class with him and meanwhile woodson is still kind of raw and still kind of hard to project whether he's going to meet his ceiling especially because I still don't love the fit with Trey Asbury and having to play next to him, but certainly like that doesn't mean I'm shitting on Lawson and Woodson. I think that they both have pretty good, uh, strong potentials. I think they're good young players to build the core around. And um, I think that they could be quite good uh, if they continue to play together and continue to develop on a uh, consistent trajectory. So um, do you want me to do my fourth team? Yes. So my fourth team is the Philadelphia Warriors, and I focused on uh, McConnell, McDice, and Collier. Um, all five, uh, all three of those players came from the 2025 draft, which, uh, in case you cannot tell, I'm likely going to be pretty biased from my uh, in favoring 2025 draft players. Um, McConnell, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see his fit with Benjamin on board. Um, but I think McConnell might be one of, if not the top two-way point guard prospects in the league at this point. Um, McDice, I think, is quite underrated in terms of his two-way potential, and I think Collier you're going to see have a really strong season next year uh, as a shooting guard when he comes in to replace um, the, the Warriors shooting guard, Jermaine Curry, who's likely going to leave in free agency this year. Um, I had them at number two. On the back of those three players, um, I'm really bullish on McConnell long-term, although I think it's fair to say he's never going to be a, a massive scorer. I think he has he ticks every other box you could possibly want in a point guard. I think McDice is, is, is possibly going to end up being probably the best of those the best of those kind of power forward energy guys because he can shoot threes. He plays excellent defense. Uh, and he's just a little bit more versatile and exciting than a lot of those guys usually are. Um, and you know, a six foot eight point, uh, a six foot eight shooting guard who can shoot threes and play defense is is kind of my jam. So Collier gets a big tick as well. 
Um, so, yep. yeah, they're, they're number two for me. So who's your fourth team? Uh, I, I'm almost certain that you won't have this team on the list. Uh, it's the Denver Dragons, uh, mainly because of Malik Farmer. So they were in my honorable mention, one of my top nine teams. Um, I, be, Malik Farmer has looked insanely good. Uh, my issue why I didn't have them on my top five is because I'm not quite sure on the other prospects on the team where their ceilings are. They might be as good as they currently project, but the, the ceiling is the limit. The, 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 the roof is the ceiling for Farmer, as Michael Jordan would say. Um, look, I also I also listed Shaw. I think Shaw is um, going to be a, a really nice fit there long term with um, Adams if the team chooses to retain him. Um, what exactly his ceiling is is, is obviously questionable um, at this point, but certainly I think he's a, a really nice fit with the other pieces that team currently has. Um, but yeah, they were there. I didn't have a, as long a list as you did, Mark, uh, in terms of having nine teams to choose from. Uh, but uh, they were they were certainly probably the one. That, them and the there was Las Vegas was the one other team if you factored in its upcoming draft pick that I thought was kind of in the mix for that four or five with the with the Hurricanes and the Dragons. Yep. So uh, all right, so now it's time for my third team, right? Yep. I don't think you're going to have this team, but I'm going to throw it out there. My third team is the Phoenix Vultures. Uh, and this is presuming that they're going to use the first overall pick to get uh, the future, to, to get Ben Winder's son, uh, Winder Jr. Uh, they also have Adonis Gat- Gatling and Amika Morning, uh, Morning, who is specifically looked quite good in his rookie season. One way player. Oh, that's kind of harsh. One way player. Did you did you consider Phoenix at all on your list? No, because because Morning's a one way player, so I, I didn't. I docked him. Ah, uh, that's mean. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I I'm. Oh, I'm look, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, if I if I had gone down the list as long as you as far as you did, the fact that they will have Winder probably would have got them in a list of. You know, if I went to a list of nine or ten, they would have been on there just for Winder. Um, and I do quite like Gatling. But I don't think Gatling is going to show his value again until the team has other pieces because players like Gatling are complementary pieces. Um, and right now, the team is not built in a way to capitalize on Gatling's value yeah. yet. It may well be in the future, but it's not there yet. I, I just think a, a three a three-man core of Winder, Morning, assuming Morning develops the other side of his game, and Gatling could have some real strong potential once they all hit their ceilings. Yeah, I think the team, if they keep Morning at centre, is going to have a constant problem with how to offset his defence. Because I, I don't think he has... I don't think he's a rookie and bad at defence. I think he's bad at defence. Yeah. I think Who's he has potential. I think he has, a, I think he has the potential to be a very productive player from a statistical standpoint. But I think he also has the uh, he also has potential dodo written all over him. Ooh, man, Kalen Anthony, come on down. There's your drones. I'm not saying those players. I'm not saying those players aren't without value. But if you, I, I don't think you can have a. I don't think you can ever be a contender if you have a starting center who isn't uh, an above average defensive option. You need a you need a defensive anchor, and I don't think that Morning is ever going to be that. 
Um, he could evolve into a really effective bench unit scorer. Um, there's, there's roles that those players can play. But if we're talking about the ceiling of teams based on their young talent, um, I don't view him as, a, as an active plus at this point. We just need to have a moment of silence for Kalen Anthony, Trayvon Miller. Who else is an offensive focus center? I'm forgetting about other than those two come to mind. This is not a new opinion by me, Mark. I, Isaiah pretty, Swain. This is pretty good. Oh, wow. Oh, that, that is shocking. Oh, you should have saved that shit for the mock draft. That's going to be a fun Ooh, one. Ooh, there's a little Easter egg for y'all. So what? When next week's podcast is the mock draft, I'm going to have to do some scouting. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, if it's my turn... Uh, I will lead off with my one remaining team, which is the Seattle Thunder. I have, the Seattle, Thun- I have the Seattle Thunder as number one on my list. Uh, for me, it's, it's Walcott, MBJ, and Isabel Lawson. And I think you could even make a case that Sullivan is looking pretty solid as a, as a contributing player, potential starter. I have, um, I have those four players in that same order. <laughs> yep. The... The, the other team on my list, who is number two, was uh, the Baltimore Bullets with uh, Pape, Pape Dia, Marcus Price, James Mosley, Haskins, Anderson, and Randall. That's a pretty nice core. Not, no. Oh, no. stop. You're not going to even have to worry about SimCast for at least like six seasons. You know that I won't act, You know, I'm actually. Your time will come. When I am good again, I will not follow Simcast Live. I will not do it to myself. Your time will come. Your time will come. I won't be dumb enough to torture myself when my time does come. Though. So, so who are your five teams? Because I thought, did, did you miss one? No, I had Seattle number one, Philadelphia number two, Kansas three, Denver four, and the Hurricanes at five. Yep, that's all five. All right, so we each got our, our top five teams, and I think we had some pretty good cross-reference there. We, we both agree yeah, on think, Seattle, Philadelphia, Kansas City. There were some differences. Yeah. And look, you, I'm sure you knew I wasn't going to pick me, and I'm sure that you knew that I was going to, that you, I knew that you were going to pick me. So that was always going to be a thing. Of course. Yeah. Like, we're, we're both getting very good at sandbagging with our own teams at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I think we are getting pretty good at that. But yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd have to look at those. T- at Papa Diop and Marcus Price. Um, Marcus Price, we had the debate about whether he would go second overall if we redid the 20-25 draft now. James Mosley, uh, he was a player I was touting. I was very high on the last draft class. Um, I'm not quite sure about Anderson and Randall yet, um, but they are both still... <laughs> Big point guards. They're rookie point guards. Uh, we'll give them time. They have nice pedigrees. So no, look, they, uh, they I, both had, they had both they both had good games and good moments for us. I think the reality is they probably suffered a little bit as well because I was shuffling lineups around and shuffling players in and out, and you know that's not exactly the uh, the best way to make your point guard's life easy. Um, so and you know, so they both played some time at shooting guard as well. Um, you know, we'll see where we stand after training camp. I really, I'm, I'm quite happy with Haskins as a rookie um, uh, for yep. a late first, for a late first rounder. Is kind of a defensively orientated wing, yep. shot like shit. But then again, that's what you expect from defensive orientated wings in their first year. But I was, I thought that was quite promising. Um, and obviously, I am exceptionally fond of Price, and I think that Diop uh, 
it wouldn't take much for Diop to jump a whole lot uh, in terms of his development. There's a, a few very specific things that I think are holding him back a little. Uh, and if those things clicked, I think he could um, bunny hop up a lot quite quickly. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that it sets up pretty well. I, I, the bolts are set up pretty well. I mean, you're not going to make the playoffs next year. You know, I don't think you will, but I don't think your plan is to. But someone I mean, actually but, asked me. Someone actually asked me that the other day. Like I was talking to someone, and they're like, we we're talking about a, you know, if we were trading, and they're like, you know, would you pro- would you be able to promise that you wouldn't be good next year? And I said, I I am I am too honest and too opportunistic to promise that I won't. But uh, I would be genuinely shocked if I was in the playoffs next year. Yeah, I, I mean it, that would I require. I think just, I think the East is just too strong down to eight. If the East was strong one to five, and that six, seven, and eight were soft, then I could I could say yeah, potentially I could make a run at that. Uh, but the way the whole conference is now, there's no fucking way. Yeah, I mean, there would have to be some pretty cataclysmic shifts, I think, which I just don't, I don't see a lot of the East teams doing, you know? No, you're talking season-ending injury-level stuff to, like, particular players on particular teams is what it would take. Like People losing organs. Baptiste style. No, look, I... I organs failing. It just broke. It just temporarily stopped working, the organ. It's still there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, look, as I said, I think there's, you know, there are teams in the air. So, for instance, like, you know, the Jailbirds don't make the playoff if Cheney goes down for the season. Um, the Mustangs probably, you know what, the Mustangs p- could potentially still slide in even if Messiah went down for a long period of time. They've got enough. Yeah, I, th- I, I think so. I think, I think Honey, I think Honey, Hicks, and uh, uh, they're, they're, uh, and Walton, Walton could hold the fort together. Yeah, and I think the same, you could say the same about the Cyclones. I think if, you know, if if Goodwin went down, I think Tucker and Gamble would probably still be enough to hold up fairly well. Like the, you know, it would take some really cataclysmic kind of shit to uh to yeah like to pump some of those teams into a free fall. Like like if if Lane went down, you could just picture like when uh, Ace Ventura got naked and like went to the shower and started crying and stuff like that. You could just picture RKG doing that. Um, so you know, let's, let's just hope for the sake of the league that doesn't happen. Yep. Anyone else but him? <laughs> is Andrew in the? Is Andrew seriously in the channel? Fucking praising Sean Gray, like literally, like posting all the lines from box score, uh, from play by play where Sean Green did good hey, shit. Hey, he's the best Jewish yeah, basketball player in JBL history. How is, how is he already in pump up the value on Mister Green for trade when he's still in the finals? That's shameless. That's a well, new what, level. What's what's great what's great is that he actually went and like printed out the game log and used like the highlighter function in paint uh, to uh, highlight it. <laughs> that's that's some real deliberate um that's some real deliberate planning right there. Oh, look, 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 we should leave him alone. He's probably just trying to keep his mind off the uh, the stressful predicament that his team has found itself in. Because if the Kings lose, he'll change his name to Sean Blue. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a, sad. That's a terrible fucking dad joke. He's sad. Or Sean Blew it. <laughs> okay, well, I, I think that needs to be the the note we end on with your fucking terrible jokes. I agree. I agree. So it's, it was fun. It was fun to worry about the Kings for a whole two hours, knowing that by this time tomorrow we'll all be for naught. So in the, the Death March will play. The Imperial March. I, will play. I'm not convinced. 
I'm not convinced Kamish will play game seven tomorrow if it goes to seven. He might he might amp up the torture. He he might he might so and just and that'll torture everyone because there's some people who desperately want the trade window to open. Well, when I first went to the finals, I got one fucking day a game a day. It was a week long fucking torture chamber. And you didn't even have SimCast back then. Sim SimCast is its own punishment. Uh, you'll get yours. You'll get yours. So I think that's a good place to end it. So I think next week we'll be back with our draft lottery and we'll be coming to you two nights in a row next week or two days in a row because we'll have the draft lottery followed, then the draft. followed by the draft. So, um, you know someone is going to deliberately try and fuck with us, right? And like wait till we've done our mock and then execute a trade. I'm going to call yeah, that well, now. Some dickhead's going to do it. Some dickhead's going to do it. Yeah, well, we won't call Calvin out by name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also, congratulations, uh, a formal congratulations on the air to Calvin, who is no longer the youngest member of the, uh, the JBL slash CJBL. <laughs> That's right. Welcome welcome to uh, uh, J-Ryan. What, what's your son's name? Q. I think he's still listening. Well, I think we're just going with Q, aren't we? Are going with Q? Okay. Yeah, we don't have to get a full name on there, but that's that's good enough for me. So, well, welcome to the league. Hope you uh hope you listen to the podcast. Hope we didn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, commit too many too many violations or anything like that, or use too much foul language. To be fair, so, you don't swear. You don't swear as much as I do. <laughs> uh, I, I I swore I swore once or twice. So, and there's enough uh, penis jokes in here. You Americans that. are far too puritanical. You care about swearing far more than we do. Uh, that's probably that's probably a fair point. So it's, in our it's coffee the, sucks. It's, it's 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 the Puritans versus the convict background. It's just a thing. Yeah. All right. That's that's enough chattering on. So we'll we'll be back next week. Uh, have have a good next week. Go Niners. Um, go Fireballs and Kings. And uh, talk to you all later. Go Niners. Latest.